blessing. I ask you to join me this morning in the second letter of Paul to the church at Corinth, the book of 2 Corinthians. And once you get there, uh, join me, if you will, in the 12th chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, let me uh, just tell you at the outset this morning that for many of you in here today, um, what I'm going to share with you is probably not pertinent to your life right now. But it may be someday. And so over the course of the, the next two weeks, I'm going to share some things with you that I've shared with churches all over the country in the last year and a half, um, but have never, never shared these things with our church family. And I hope that over the course of this Sunday and next Sunday, that you will walk away with some tools to help you, should you ever go through the valley, as Pastor Tyler just sung about, or some things that you can use to help others as they go through the valley. There are three basic problems that are common to all of us. They're very simple. They are sickness, sorrow, and suffering. And as long as we live in a fallen, broken world, we're going to have to deal with all three of those things. We all, no doubt, have dealt with them indirectly as they have come into the lives of people that we're close to, people that we know, people that we love. But then there may come a time when we have to deal with them directly as they come into our lives. And such was the case with our family on February the 6th. 2018. I was sitting up in our bed in our room, knowing me, I was probably praying, reading my Bible. My wife, knowing her, was probably buying clothes on the internet. What I just said is probably closer true for her than for me. I don't know what I was doing. Be real honest with you, I was probably watching Fox News, getting aggravated. As I was sitting there, my phone rang. I looked down, and it was our daughter-in-law, Sheena. Well, Sheena never calls me. She always calls Katie. So my first thought was, well, TJ has lost his phone again. It's either in a deer stand or in a food plot 
or at the bottom of a creek somewhere, or creek, as he says. And so I answered the phone, and it was Sheena. And she said, is Katie there? And I said, yes, she is. She said, would you get her? I, I need to talk to you guys. And through her tears, she told us that TJ was dead. He had been killed in their driveway while working on his pickup. Let me tell you a little bit about TJ or T-Bird or T-Bud or just T. Or Timothy James when his mom was really aggravated. That's him. He was 35 years old. God had blessed him and Sheena with three beautiful daughters. Mallory Page, Ellie Grace, and Callie Mae. Mallory was seven at the time. Ellie was three. Callie Mae was just six months, almost seven. <sighs> TJ. Such a good man. And I mean that. Such a good man. He owned his own business. He was very successful at what he did. He loved the Lord. Oh my, I love the Lord. And he served the Lord in, in the little church that they're members of there in Burden. Him and Sheena started a children's church as they started having kids and their little church didn't have one and so him and sheena took it upon themselves to start a, a children's church ministry he served as a as a trustee there he was the the spiritual leader of his home honestly he was everything a mom and dad could ever hope one of their children would become. And I'm glad that I can stand here today and say that's true for Pastor Tyler and for Tiffany. Um, I can honestly say that. They are everything that we could have ever hoped or imagined and everything we ever prayed that they would become. Needless to say, that night changed our lives forever. And though the initial brokenness of our loss has subsided, the, the shock waves of pain are something that we still experience and in some ways always will experience at different times during the year like Thanksgiving and Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day. We'll feel them every December 3rd, his birthday, and certainly every February the 6th for the rest of our lives. The death of our son is something that we will never get over. 
But by God's grace, it's something that we're learning to get through. And with the Lord's help, I want to share some thoughts with you today and next week along those lines. How to get through what you'll never get over. Let me say a couple of things real quick before we we go any farther. First of all, I I want you to know that that my desire in sharing these things with you is, is not to get you to feel sorry for us. Listen, we're not the first mom and dad or the first pastor and pastor's wife or the first ministry family to experience a tragedy like this. And unfortunately, we won't be the last. And secondly, I, I, don't, I don't offer these things, listen, by any, any way of being some kind of expert. I have no expertise. I'm just a dad who also happens to be a pastor who misses his son dearly who still to this day calls his cell phone so I can hear his voice and who is prone to outbreaks of weeping, sometimes uncontrollably. (laughs) The simplest things. What I'm going to share with you are things that that my wife and I are learning along the way. Some of these things we have discovered on on our own for ourselves. Others are, are things that we've learned either through personal interaction uh, with others who have traveled the same path or maybe from, from podcasts or books that we've read. Many of these things, and really I probably should say all of these things, are things today marks our 39th year in ministry at Fellowship Baptist Church. And we have believed these things like forever up here. And we've, we've taught them and we've preached them and we've shared them. And we had it all up here. <laughs> but now we're, we're having to try to, to make sure they're in here. There's a difference. There's a difference. So let's start with this this concept, if you will, of getting over it. A dear pastor friend of mine who had suffered a tragic loss himself shared these three things with me, and I cannot tell you, tell him, how much this helped me as, as part of the process of coming to the realization, and here's what he helped me with. He said, Bill, listen. We don't have to get over it. We can't get over it. And God doesn't expect us to get over it. I cannot tell you how liberating those three thoughts have been. Jerry Sitzer lost his wife, his daughter, and his mother-in-law. Or excuse me, his mother 
all in the same car wreck. And in his book, A Grace Disguised, he writes this, Can anyone really expect to recover from such a tragedy? Considering the value of what was lost and the consequences of that loss, recovery is a misleading and empty expectation. We recover from broken limbs, not amputations. Catastrophic loss, by by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There is no going back to the past, which is gone forever. Only going ahead to the future, which is yet to be discovered. Whatever that future is, it will and must include the pain of the past. Sorrow never entirely leaves the soul of those who have suffered a severe loss. If anything, it may keep going deeper. This, this whole getting over it thing, I heard it, um, I heard it explained this way. We don't look at, at someone, the people around us, who are experiencing the joys of life and tell them, well, you need to just get over it. You, you need to just move on. Let's say, for example, a a young couple experiences the blessing of their first child. and So you go to the store and you get a a card and you congratulate them on on the birth of of their new baby. And let's say it's, it's five years later and you're going through the mail and there's an invitation to this child's fifth birthday party tell me this morning church who opens that invitation and says another birthday party seriously this is like five years in a row hey we get it you've had a kid you've had him five years you need to get over it and move on. We don't, we don't tell people who are enjoying the blessings of life to get over it. To just move on. Why would we expect somebody who has suffered a tragedy to just get over it? To just move on. Helping others understand, and I hope that this will help today, that they don't have to get over it, and they can't get over it, and that God doesn't expect them to get over it, will deliver them from the expectations of people who mean well. I mean, they really do. They do. They mean well but they've never walked that path. I I hope you're never guilty from this day forward of looking at a friend and saying, well, they 
And they just need to get over it. They can't. They won't. And though you expect them to, God doesn't. He just doesn't. And, and then let me, we're going to get into text in a minute, but let me explain what I mean by getting through. I'm, I'm talking about that time that eventually comes when someone accepts the horrible events that have brought them so much grief and sorrow, and with the Lord's help, they find the strength to move forward in life in spite of the loss and pain. When I say getting through what you'll never get over, that's what I'm talking about. That time that eventually comes. And by the way, that time comes at different, different times for different people. It's different for a husband than it is for a wife. It's different for, for siblings than it is for parents. I mean, there's no set, well, when is the time? The time is the time. But it comes when... We accept the horrible events that have brought us so much grief and sorrow. And with the Lord's help, we find the strength to move forward in life in spite of the loss and the pain. A sense of closure comes when someone finally allows themselves to accept the reality that what was done is done and nothing will bring back the past or undo the damage. Now, please understand this. Acceptance doesn't mean that everything is okay. But it does mean that you are okay. And that you are choosing to get through even though you will never get over. we move into our text, we are reminded again this morning that even the godliest people are not exempt from sorrow, sickness, and suffering. The greatest Christian of all time, in my opinion, was the Apostle Paul. And he knew what it was to face these things. In fact, he closes the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, telling how he had been whipped, shipwrecked, robbed, mugged, betrayed, jailed, and left for dead. And then in the 12th chapter, he mentions something that he had been dealing with at this point in his life for 14 years. Look at it, verse 1, chapter 12. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above or more than 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such, such in one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise. And heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself will I not glory, but in mine infirmities. Let me stop there and say this. Paul's talking about himself. 
And at some point, he, he, he's not sure if it was in the body or in the spirit, but God lifted him to heaven and showed him things in heaven that nobody had ever seen. And what a privilege. What an honor. For though I would desire, verse 6, to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Here it is. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, this thorn in the flesh, Paul said he asked God three times, take it away. And God said every time, his answer was the same, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities, persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. We're not told what this thorn in the flesh was. There, there's, a, there's a lot of speculation, but at the end of the day, uh, really that's all it is. It's, it's speculation. But here's what we do know. It was something that Paul didn't want. But yet, he had to live with, as far as we know, for the rest of his life. Did he ever get over it? I doubt it. Whatever it was, he woke up with it every morning. Well, pastor, did he, did he get through it? Did, did he come to a place where he accepted it and he found the strength to move forward in his life in spite of it? I believe he did, according to verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I believe Paul got through it, but he never got over it. Write a couple things down this morning. Number one, we learn from this passage that God sees what we don't see. God sees what we don't see. I've used this illustration many, many times, and it's kind of silly, and, and you may feel a little awkward, but I hope you'll join me in doing this this morning, because I really believe it'll, it'll, it'll be an aha moment for you. I want you to take your index finger and your thumb, and I want you to make a, an okay sign. Okay, everybody, work with me here. I want you to close one eye, and I want you to look through this with the other eye. And keep it there. All right? I know it's awkward, but keep it there. The person next to you looks just as silly. Listen, this is our perspective on life. This is it. This is all we can see. I can see, I see Tom and, and Rhonda. I see Julie Long, that's as far left as I, my, my left as I can see, I see Rick and Candy, and 
I see Renee and Calvin. Now, I can see a little, little further on that side, but this is our perspective. This is God's perspective. God sees so much more than we see. As a matter of fact, God sees everything. He's the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing that is hidden from Him. And because there is nothing that is hidden from Him, nothing ever surprises Him. Somebody once said, has it ever dawned on you that nothing's ever dawned on God? Listen, there's nothing that's happened in your life or my life that God went, oh, no. God sees it. God knows it. And he's never caught off guard. But because we only have this perspective, and we don't see a lot of things, a lot of things take us by surprise. Things that we would have never expected. Now listen, if we choose, if we choose to view our son's death through our limited perspective, then folks, the only conclusion I can come to is that it's not fair. Based on what I can see, it's not fair. Through this lens, it's not fair that Sheena became a widow in her 30s. Christian, bring that picture up, would you? It's not fair. From this vantage point, from this perspective, it's not fair that those three girls are sitting at the graveside of their daddy. From this perspective, it's not fair that they don't have a dad anymore. From, from a, 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 a vantage point, the one that we have, it's not fair that for the longest time, the two oldest of those girls cried and cried and cried because they wanted their daddy back. Ellie Grace, the middle one, was talking to her mama one night, and she said, Mama, when is God going to fix daddy and bring him home? From this perspective, no mother should have to answer those kind of questions. You with me? It's just not fair. If I choose to view our son's death through this little hole, then it will inevitably lead to things like anger and bitterness and despair and finally to a hardened heart. By the same token, if you choose to respond to the things that come your way based upon your perspective, then it will lead to the same things in your life. 
something I think is, is so incredibly important, and, and Brother Mike Collins just so eloquently laid this out from the book of Malachi Wednesday night. But I think something that's so incredibly important is establishing a biblical view of who God is right now. I mean, in the present. Don't wait, listen, don't wait until tragedy strikes to try and, do, and, and come to grips with who God is. No, listen, you need to come to grips from the Bible with who God is right now because when tragedy strikes, it will challenge everything that you have ever believed. I'm just telling you. It will challenge everything that you have ever believed about God. But if your belief, if your faith is grounded in the Word of God, though at that moment everything in your life changes, listen to me today, the truth of God and who He is will not change. You better get anchored in this book. You better come to a conviction in your heart about who God is. Or you're not going to fare well. I mean, there are, are some things about God based on the Bible that, that we can know. He's good. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's loving. He's patient. He's kind. He's ever-present. He's, he's a refuge in times of trouble. And listen to me this morning. None of that changed on the night of February 6, 2018. When I got that phone call, when we got that phone call, that moment that we were told that, it didn't, it, didn't, it didn't mean that God wasn't good anymore. Or that God wasn't kind anymore. Or that God wasn't loving anymore. Or that God was no longer a very present help in time of trouble. God will always and forever be those things. And more. And here's part of the more. It's something we know. If you've been in church for, for uh, a decent amount of time, you, you, you know this. But honestly, it's something that we struggle to come to grips with. And it's this this morning. God is sovereign. Don't miss this. God is sovereign. Which essentially means that he has the power and the wisdom and the authority to do or to allow anything he chooses with regard to his creation. Can I say that again? The fact that God is sovereign means that he has the power, the wisdom, and the authority to do and to allow anything he chooses with regard to his creation. And so here are some things that I, I want you to understand about God because he's sovereign. He's free to do whatever he wants. He has the right to deal with us. Any way he chooses. He doesn't have to treat us like he treats our neighbors. Because God's sovereign, he doesn't have to treat us today like he treated us yesterday. And finally, because God's sovereign, 
He's not obligated to live up to our expectations or to explain himself to any of us. Grab hold of that this morning. It's Bible truth. If someone is going to eventually get through what they'll never get over, they've got to remember that God has a broader perspective. He sees things that we don't see. And then here's a a second thought, and and again, it's really hard to wrap our minds around this. But it's this, God allows things that we would never allow. At the end of the day, whether we like it or not, God's plans are often different than ours. And even better than ours. Well, yeah, you're going to say that. You're the preacher. You're supposed to say that. No, 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 no. Listen, I've wrestled with this. I could not have preached this on February the 10th, 2008. I wrestled with this because in my mind, if I can just be transparent with you this morning, going back to my limited perspective, I have to ask myself and have asked myself over and over again, what could possibly be better than our son living and enjoying life? What could be better than him living and continuing to to contribute to the welfare of his church and of his community? I mean, what what could possibly be better than him continuing to invest in the spiritual lives of his daughters and seeing them receive Christ as his Savior. How could my son dying at 35 be a better plan? How could Paul... What could be better than him doing the work of the Lord unhindered? Whether he was limping around or whether it was an eye disease, nobody knows. But but I'm just asking this morning, what could be better than Paul not having to deal with what he was having to deal with? And here's the answer today. I don't know. I don't. If you were on the edge of your seat, Waiting for me to give you the answer that's going to change your life? I'm sorry. Just settle back. I don't know. And what's more, I may never know this side of eternity. Listen, I've settled that. In my own heart, I've settled that. I don't reckon I'll ever know. 
An old preacher by the name of Vance Habner used to say, over some of our days, God's, God writes, we'll explain later. I'm convinced that as, as time went on, Paul began to understand to an even greater extent what he said in, in, in verse 10, for when I am weak, then am I strong. I believe he came to appreciate this thorn in the flesh and, and this daily struggle that he had. The longer he lived and the more he encountered, the more beautiful God's plan became. And, and that has been true for others that I have, have known through the years as well. And thank God for it. Thank God there came a time in their life when they were able to say this, I get it. I get it. I didn't get it at the time. But I get it now. And if that's you this morning, praise the Lord for that. That is a hallelujah. But what about those of us who are currently living and not living with that reality? We still can't make sense of it. We still, to this day, cannot even fathom something better. And we may never live in that reality. What do we do? Here's what some do, and you probably witnessed some of these things in the lives of people you know and you love. Some fight the pain of loss by denying it. They deny it by staying busy so, so they don't have the time and space to let the pain in. Listen, denial just puts off what should be faced. People in denial refuse to see loss for what it is, which is something that can never be reversed. You cannot deal with pain by not dealing with it. Some try and and drown the pain by indulging their appetites. You've seen this, no doubt. Many people form addictions after they experience loss. They saturate their senses with anything that will satisfy them in the moment because they cannot bear to think about the long-term consequences of their loss. And so they watch television every moment they can. They work 60 hours a week. They drink too much alcohol. They take too many pills. They go on sexual rampages. They eat constantly or spend money carelessly. And in so doing, they they hold suffering at a distance. Some resist the pain by venting anger. Sometimes their anger is toward the one who caused the loss. I think I'm honest in saying this this morning, that that I've never been angry at TJ. I've never been angry. But I've been frustrated. Because his mechanic friend said that he would come over on Saturday morning and put that part on. I get frustrated. 
Yeah, yeah, why didn't you just let him do it? Why didn't you just let him do it? Sometimes people just get angry. Why did you die? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And they get angry at the person who caused the loss. And sometimes it's the, the innocent people in their lives that are the recipients of their anger. I'll probably say this again next week. And I, I told somebody this this week. Before, I never understood how a, a husband and wife who had been married for so long could get divorced after the loss of a child. I never understood how something that seemingly to me from a distance should have brought a family together ended up ripping them apart. I never understood that. But I understand it now. Because sometimes it's the innocent people in, in our lives that are the recipients of our anger. And we drive them away. That makes sense? And then there are times, obviously, that that anger is directed toward God. None of these responses, or others like them, are healthy or productive. And next week, wrap it up now but next week I'm going to suggest some possible responses that are healthy or at least healthier and more beneficial as our musicians come here's what I here's what I want you to do this morning as you're from where you're sitting I want you to give some thought and I mean serious serious thought about who you believe God is. Right now. Who do you really believe God is? So I'm telling you, if you don't have that nailed down right now, then when the storms of life come, Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When the storms of life come, and they start beating against your foundation, if your belief in who God is is not built upon this book, I'm telling you, your life's going to crumble. You better... You better get a biblical view and understanding who God is. And I'll tell you again, when TJ died on February 6, 2018, nothing that this book says God is changed. He was still everything that this book says he is. And he's still that way today. And he will forever be that. Would you pray with me?